0: With you. And special thanks to the Young People team that a week ago helped us get our stuff out of the semi-trailer. I see several of your faces here. I uh, didn't get to interact with you very much there because I was busy pulling stuff off from deep in the semi. Bonnie got to see your faces because she was at the door welcoming you. And I thank you, church, for your interest in our need and Appreciate that. This sermon today, I'm going to do something that I don't usually do. I'm going to tell you the conclusion right at the start, so you know where we're headed. So as we go through the story, you'll recognize how it builds toward the conclusion. God calls you to witness. God calls each one of us to witness for him. Each one of us has a story to tell of his goodness in our lives. The miracle of the forgiveness you have received is just as big a miracle as Jesus delivering those demoniacs in the story that we're going to be reading from the book of Mark. The point is, you have a responsibility and a privilege to be proactive telling people about the God who has rescued you. So, I invite you to go with me to Mark chapter 4. And the story starts in a storm. That's a good place for stories to start. (laughs) Mark chapter 4. When evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took Jesus along in the boat. As he was. I think that's a pregnant phrase. As he was. He was worn out. He was tired from his hard work of ministering to the people all day. As he was. Other little boats were also with him. A great windstorm arose. The waves beat into the boat. And it was already filling. Thank you for that children's story. It built on this very same story. Jesus in the boat, sleeping And the disciples battling the storm and saying, How can we live? Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. When Mr. Horvath brought his pillow in here, somebody said, You're not going to need that today. (laughs) I saw what he was using it for. He's not trying to take a nap during my sermon. But um, Jesus slept during the storm. He absolutely slept. How could he sleep during the storm? Because he knew who he was. He knew whose he was. He knew that his purpose was still being fulfilled. And he was comfortable. He could sleep. God will take care of me. Even at camp meeting in the storms. Have you noticed that the devil throws storms at camp meetings? I hope you've recognized that. When God's people gather together, Satan sees that as an opportunity to try to attack, attack God. Don't be surprised, but you can sleep at peace because God's got us in His hand. He'll take care of us, we can rest in Him. Disciples didn't know that yet. <laughs> so, verse 38 The disciples awoke Jesus and said to him, Teacher, don't you care? We're drowning. Jesus woke up. Verse 39. Jesus arose. He rebuked the wind by saying, peace be still. The wind ceased. There was a great calm. And Jesus, of course, (laughs) taking advantage of the time to make sure you get the moral of the story. Why were you afraid? Where is your faith? We need to grow in our understanding of God's provision for us that when the crises come, the first thing we say is, praise the Lord. God has accounted us worthy to face this crisis. God has promised He'll see us through the crisis. The Christian walk is not a statement that you're not going to have trouble. The Christian walk is a statement that God will be with you through the trouble. Of course, the disciples are shaking their heads saying, who can this be? (laughs) They did not understand that the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus, was coming to show life. They were getting the picture, but it was slow for them to come, and it's sometimes slow for us to get it. But we need to get it. God is taking care of us. Meanwhile, while this is happening out on the Sea of Galilee, Up on the shore, there are a pair of demon-possessed men. Sometimes we call them demoniacs. Simply that means that the demons have taken control of their life. They saw this storm stop precipitously. They recognized something supernatural is happening. And then they saw Jesus come to the shore. Every once in a while, I need to check my notes, make sure I cover the important parts. Oh, yes. Where did they land? Gadara. We call these men the Gadarenes. This this part of the Sea of Galilee is in the northeast corner of... Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm going to give Samuel a hard time because I, I don't stand in one place. <laughs> we already talked about this, and he'll just have to do what he has to do. But... Um, the Sea of Galilee, I've been on that sea, it's, it's nowhere near as big as Lake Michigan, but it's lots bigger than Lake Cadillac. Uh, it's big enough for ship uh, uh, sailing vessels to travel on it, but it's deep enough and open enough that it can get some real serious storms. The uh, area where Jesus is going to is up near, it's been in the news, the Golan Heights, that northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. This was a part of the territory of Israel that had been assigned to the half-tribe of Manasseh, the eastern half-tribe of Manasseh. A lot of time has happened. There are still some remnants of an understanding of the worship of the true God, but it's been really mixed up and messed up because the various conquerors have killed a lot of the people, taken captive even more, and brought in people from other nations who asked the, the locals, how do you worship your God? And they gave them a sort of an understanding of who God is. And so the worship in this area, we call it syncretistic. It was a polyglot of, of different kinds of worship. God was being worshiped along with other gods, my God's a jealous God. He's not ready to share. So there were things going on here. They knew a lot more than they were doing, but they didn't understand the true character of God. That's an important thing for us to understand. I'm so glad for the, for the Strong Tower Radio and this <laughs> proclaiming the character of God. Hallelujah. That's what we need to do in our personal lives. So, Jesus' arrival produced a lot of tension. These possessed men saw Jesus and had some hope. Maybe there's deliverance. The demons who were possessing them saw Jesus and said, maybe there's a chance for us to attack and overcome Jesus. Our master Satan will be real happy if we can mess with Jesus. So, chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, the country, of the Gadarenes. When Jesus had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. And you say, well, Pastor Fred, you've been saying there were two. Yeah, I read the other accounts. (laughs) I believe there were two. Now, why would there only be one mentioned in this? Well, I've got an answer for that. When you go to court and testify... The judge likes to listen to your testimony. And if somebody comes along and gives another testimony about that same scene, that same situation, if his testimony exactly matches your testimony, the judge is going to say, they've been in collusion. But if there's some just little differences in detail, the car was green, the car was blue, just little differences in detail, then the judge is saying, they're each telling their own story. Whenever we tell a story, we tell it to the filter of our own eyes, our own brain, our own experience, and it won't be the same story, even if it's about the same account. So when Peter told this story to Mark, and Mark wrote it down, <laughs> the picture I have is when Peter saw this madman, he turned and ran without counting how many there were. <laughs> One's enough for me, I'm out of here. Well, whereas the others watching and remembering the whole story this is there were really two of these guys and they were scary. They were very frightening. Dwelling in the, among the tombs, so these were guys living in graves. People don't usually live in graves. No one could bind him even with chains. As I researched the story, I discover these men had been tried to be controlled. The, um, The various authorities, policemen, soldiers, had put handcuffs on them, manacles, shackles, perhaps even a collar around their neck, around their feet. Did not work. They broke them off, or at least most of them. It says they broke the chains. And it also says they were naked. Now, none of us look real pretty naked. I know they make lots of money on these, on these pornography sites with nakedness. But that's all airbrushed. <laughs> we, we, we just don't have much to show. And when we see somebody who's naked, it's, it's disconcerting and offensive. It puts us off. Why would Satan want to take the clothes off from these people. Does you ever think about that? Go back to the Garden of Eden. Why did God give us clothes in the first place? Adam and Eve had lost the robe of Christ's righteousness, and he said, It's not good for you to be naked. Let me give you a symbol of my righteousness to cover you. Our clothes are a symbol of the righteousness of Jesus, and the devil has been trying to mess with our covering ever since that first day. We as Christians, if when we dress ourselves in the morning, we realize, I am dressing to let people know about God and his love. The character of God is revealed in our attire. The devil pulled the clothes off from those guys, and they were very messed up looking. They'd cut themselves, so they've got scabs and sores and blood and messy, messy looking. They were scary. Was Jesus scared? (laughs) Of course not. He knew who he was. I'm a child of God. God's got me in his hand. He's taking care of me. So he watched those guys coming at him, and when they got close enough, he said, Stop. <laughs> he didn't he have to say it with words, he could say it with actions and they stopped. Get back to the book. Remember where our conclusion is. God's calling you. He's had you have had an experience with God. dwelling among the tombs, no one could bind him, even with chains. He had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. Always night and day he was in the mountains or in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Oh, what a messy picture. What a poor, hurting man. When you meet somebody who seems messed up, they probably are. They need someone to share the love of Jesus with them. Sometimes it's hard. They come across mean and ugly. But know that it's not about you. Their anger is really not against you. You're probably a stranger in their life. But Satan is trying to attack God. And he's hurting a lot of people. And they're messed up. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran to worship. Do you have that picture? These men, possessed of demons, are coming trying to worship Jesus, and the demons are letting them get about so close, and the demons are ready to attack Jesus. What's going on? This man is all messed up. Yeah. And when he gets there, Jesus... Kicks the demons out. Now we've got to have a few words about that too. Exorcism, the sending of demons out of people. It's not something just from long ago and far away. The devil is still possessing people, and people are still needing to be helped. It may be the time will come that you are called upon to be the one to pray for them to be delivered. A word of advice, most of the time in the biblical pattern, we don't invite the demons to talk to us. Jesus does here, but that's not the usual pattern. We don't need to hear them talking to us. Generally, we're asking for trouble when we start dialogue with Satan. Grandma Eve, yeah, I don't want to dialogue with Satan. I know the demons are not our focus today, but we need to look at this because it's a real issue today. And I've shared this sermon in other places and know that this, people ask me, well, Pastor Fred, how can Satan possess people? Well, short answer is only with permission. But that permission may be overt, may be tacit, it may be coerced, but he is allowed in. We need to recognize that. Something happened to allow Satan to have an access into that person. So, some of the ways that we give permission to Satan for our possession would be drugs that we take. Mostly, it will be um, the not prescribed drugs that people are taking that give Satan access to them. But even more than that, any time we persist in sin, I know God forgives and heals and gives victory over sin, but I don't want it today. I want to continue in this sin for for a while. It's always just, just for a while. Oh, one more time. That's giving Satan access. And every time we go along with Satan's will and way, we are choosing against God's will and way, and we're making... Opportunities for Satan to do more progressive taking over of our lives. So, persisting in sin opens us to his demons. Any inappropriate sexual activity is a way to give invitation for demons. And when I open that one up, some of you are mature enough to recognize that A lot of inappropriate sexual activity is voluntary, but some of it is involuntary where we didn't have any choice in the matter. It still permits him access, and that's where we get this coerced. God is able to heal. God is able to restore. But messy things happen in people's lives, and God calls us to be agents of mercy to share his love and his deliverance with people. Some forms of music are an invitation for Satan. And that's been fairly well documented in the last 20 years. That these these musicians who invite Satan to help them develop their songs, well, anyone who listens to those songs is tying themselves with that demonic stuff. Other art, pictures, statues, you may be, as I have occasionally been, invited to go to a house that's, that's haunted, possessed, and, and do an exorcism at the house. One of the first things I do is to walk through the house with prayer, asking God, show me, is there something here that's giving Satan an avenue, an invitation? One of the most dramatic ones I saw was a statue of Buddha right there in the entrance. Well, yeah, that's... <laughs> anytime you have a false god... As an idol in the house, no, you've given, you've given an opening to the Satan. That's not good. But sometimes it's more subtle. It, it'll be something in a picture that is a false god or demonic activity. God will help you to be sensitive, to enlighten you, to recognize, oh, that needs to go, that needs to go. Jackets on some... Uh, it used to be LPs, but now it's on CDs. But some of those jackets depict things that, no, not only the music, but also the picture that's on the cover, out, out, out. We, we need to be perceptive of these things. But God is in the business of healing people even today. The stories are still coming to us from around the world where there is a lot of demonic oppression and possession and our missionaries are having to confront it. Bonnie and I had to confront some when we were in in India. Scary stuff. Sobering stuff. But God is powerful. Back to the story. This man coming to worship Jesus. I know Samuel, I just keep moving on you. <laughs> And I'll just do it. (laughs) I'll ignore you. Um, This man comes in verse 7. The man wants to worship, but the demons are the ones who are doing the talking. What have I to do with you, Jesus, you Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Jesus didn't come here to torment demons. Jesus came to deliver people. Well, the delivering of people is going to... Mess with the demons' lives. Jesus said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And then Jesus asked him, and here I cautioned you, Jesus asked him, what is your name? He answered saying, my name is Legion, we are many. And the demons begged Jesus, verse 10, that he would not send them out of the country. I've heard discussions of what that means. I don't really understand what it means, but I do understand that these demons did not want all of what Jesus could pitch at them. They're scared. They're asking for mercy. Well, Jesus is the one to ask mercy from. Verse 11, a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains, and the demons begged Jesus, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. Now, there again, you get an interesting conundrum. Weren't these Jews, didn't they know better than to have hogs? Yeah, they did. But remember that polyglot, that syncretized religion, that all messed up? They had conveniently forgotten. Oh, that was long ago and far away, but now we can do. No, now you can't do. It's still, the hogs are still bad for you. But <laughs> 2,000? I mean, that's, that's a lot of money. That is really a lot of money. If, if you're into farming and you're trying to get money quickly, chickens and hogs are some of the fastest ways to be making money. There's money in these hogs. People were planning on eating these hogs. But God blessed them by killing them. Remember, only thing God can do is bless. God is a God of goodness And so even when things look, well, that was a bad thing that happened, on one side it may have looked bad, but think of all the people who were protected from eating any of those trichinosis germs that were in those hogs, from eating any of the fat that was going to cause heart disease that was in those hogs. God was protecting them in ways that we scientifically can recognize, but even more, Jesus was doing something powerful here. Now, the devil thought, that he was going to get the people mad at Jesus by, by him destroying their livelihood. But Jesus was seeing a bigger picture that we'll get to soon. He was blessing. Whenever you go through a crisis, acknowledge that there's got to be a blessing of God in that crisis. Romans 8 28. Claim those promises. Trust that God will not allow anything to happen, but that he can bring good out of it for you. And as a witness to the world. So, these hogs died. What a mess. What a big mess. Jesus gave them permission. The unclean spirits went out, entered the swine. About 2,000, the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Those who fed the swine fled. They told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what had happened. Everybody's coming out to see what's going on. When a big crisis happens in the area, we need to know what's happening. So people went to see it. People still do. The looky-loos. They go to see. Sometimes it's not a bad thing. Sometimes it's a waste of your time and energy. They went out to see, and they saw Jesus. That was not a waste of their time and energy, but their attitude was wrong. They came to Jesus, verse 15. They saw those who had been demon-possessed those who've been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Did you catch that? <laughs> These men who have been possessed by demons, running around naked, cutting themselves with stones, are now not only delivered from the demons, but they're dressed. Did Jesus snap his finger and put clothes on them? That's not what it says. I have read enough and seen enough to have a pretty good notion how he clothed them. Somebody said, I've got an extra shirt. I've got, I'm wearing the t shirt T-shirt. I'll give you my outer shirt. I believe the disciples shared clothes with these men, and so they were dressed from borrowed clothes. That's the pattern that Jesus does. If you've got more stuff than you need, God's given it to you so that you can share with somebody who's in need. That's the way God does. He calls us into unity in special and powerful ways, and sharing with those in need is one of those ways. So here these men are not only delivered from the demons, but they're delivered from the nakedness. And they're worshiping Jesus. They're sitting at the feet of Jesus. Where can mortal be more blessed? The whole countryside comes, and they observe what's going on. They look at this situation, and what do they do? Do they fall down and worship Jesus? They've seen the miraculous stopping of the storm. They saw the amazing drowning of the hogs. And I'm sure their consciences were pricked that those really weren't good for us anyway. (laughs) They knew. They knew, but they weren't doing what they knew. They saw it in verse 18. They knew what had happened to him who had been demon-possessed. They'd been told about the swine, and they began to plead with Jesus, verse 17, that he should leave. Jesus, just, just, just leave. We don't want you. Now, is that an awful thing to say? Of course it's terrible. But they didn't understand. And Jesus sent them away. Excuse me, they sent Jesus away. Keep this the right way around. They sent Jesus away. The exciting part, which leads to our conclusion. When Jesus got in the boat, the demon-possessed men begged Jesus that he might go with him. So here's somebody saying, Jesus, may I become one of your disciples. When we come to Jesus and say, may I be your disciple, doesn't he always say yes? You expect him to say, yes, come with me. But he does not say, yes, come with me. Has God you, called you to go home to glory with him yet? No, that hasn't come yet. He's got a work for you to do here. Jesus said to, the, to these men who wanted to be disciples, go home to your friends Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had compassion on you. You have a story to tell. It may be a story that merely needs to be told in your home circle, in your community. It may be a story that needs to be told on the radio. It may be a story that will lead you into much more public ministry, but you have a story to tell of a God who has rescued you from a life of sin, who's turned you from wickedness to righteousness. You have a story to tell. They had a story to tell. Look at the next verse. These demoniacs departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Decapolis is ten towns, ten towns loosely confederated, this whole region. They went back and they started talking, 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 talking about what Jesus had done for them. What had Jesus done for them? Delivered them from demons. Is that complicated? Uh, sometimes. Not necessarily. For God, it's pretty simple. God's into the healing business. He's in the victory business. He's in the restoration business. He's looking for opportunities and ways to rescue us. So, These men wanted to know more about Jesus. They wanted to stay with him and learn more. They'd had, what, two hours with him? Maybe three. I need more. I'm not satisfied with just those couple hours. Jesus said, you've got enough to share. How much training do you have? How much time have you spent with Jesus? Well, let me suggest it this way. If you're spending... Fifteen minutes, half an hour every day. I know. God suggests that we should spend a thoughtful hour each day. And some of you think you're too busy for that. Now, I encourage you. The most valuable time you spend is the time you spend with Jesus. And it makes everything else sort its priorities much better. But, But, okay, let's just give that you're doing 15 minutes a day. Within a week, you've got nearly as much as these men had. Within a week of of spending that time with Jesus, you can have the time they had. Do you have a story to tell of what God has done in your life through your time with Him? We should have a story to tell. I have found that most often the passage of Scripture that I read and studied that morning is the passage that I need to share with somebody that day. Yeah? That's the way God works. We have a story to tell. Turn over a couple pages. We'll go to Mark chapter 8. In Mark 8, we have um, Jesus coming back to Decapolis, coming back to this northeastern shore of the uh, Sea of Galilee. The multitude was great, they spent three days with him. These men sent as missionaries throughout Decapolis have spent three days, excuse me, have spent weeks or months telling people about Jesus. When Jesus comes back to the area, the whole countryside flocks to him, many more than those who'd send him away, but they come and they spent three days sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from him, and they they've run out of food. Jesus says to his disciples, I have compassion on this multitude. They have now continued with me three days. They, they have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way. Some of them have come a long ways. Verse 4, his disciples answered and said, how can we satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? They've already forgotten about the feeding of the 5,000, and now there's only about 4,000 there, but they uh, they." takes them a while. It takes us a while to get it, how God provides. Jesus says, how much bread do you have? And they said, seven loaves. Now, in our picture, in, in our American culture, when we think of seven loaves of bread, we think of these nice raised bread loaves. You need to have a better picture of what it is. When Bonnie and I were in India, we ate chapatis, and that's probably the kind of bread they had. It's... Um, flour and water mostly, that's rolled out really, really flat and then fried on a hot griddle on both sides to to, uh, to toast it. Um, tastes real good, but I mean, it's just, just as flat as they could roll it, and they're six, seven inches in diameter. Um, I could eat 10 of them. <laughs> now, 10 would be too much of one thing, so I usually ate only about four of them, along with the doll, they call it, lentils, uh, that, they, that they serve with it. Uh, but there were seven. <sighs> it goes on. Jesus commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them, gave them to his disciples to set before them. They set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, having blessed them. He set them before them, so they ate and were satisfied. They took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Those who had eaten were about 4,000. He sent them away. Your witness, your testimony as a person dedicated to Jesus, committed to Jesus, sharing his life and his love is what he asked for. That's all he asks for. Some people think of witness as something that I do. I will go out and witness. What you witness is your life. You are every moment witnessing. You are a witness. For good or for ill, you are a witness. God calls us to be intentional about our witness and tell what good things God has done for us. Bible studies may come. Keep it simple. Just talking about Jesus is mostly what he's asking us to do. Which is why, for our closing hymn, we have chosen hymn number 121. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. 121, we'll stand together as we sing. Go town. Ta- Amen.